But when we're together in his presence, there's something that happens that doesn't happen anywhere else. And it's a combination of things. Part of it is, you know, his, his spirit, in his word, it says that where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. He promises us that he's going to be here. So part of it is that we're here together. Part of it is that we're worshiping. We're worshiping. And the Bible says that God is spirit and must be worshiped in spirit. And so there is a connection that happens through the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you understand that? And so God's Holy Spirit is a way of communicating with us, his people, his children, those that he loves and that he died for. He shed his blood for us. <laughs> and when that happens, there's something real. There's something real there. That's going on. And it's God's desire. Heartfelt, fathered, fathered desire to be involved in our lives. And so many times, he's the last thing that we think about. And we wonder why our lives, in some cases, may head a direction that we don't want, we never planned. Our marriages sometimes take a turn for the worst. Our children the same. And there are so many things in our lives that God wants to be involved in, but we keep him at a distance and we try to go it ourselves. Amen. And myself, I've been a Christian for a long, long time. And I still sometimes try to do things myself. And then it occurs to me, why have I not involved God in this certain thing that I'm struggling with. Why have I not done that? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you're trying, maybe you're trying to, you know, fix something around the house and boy, sometimes things can just be so frustrating or, or a vehicle or, you know, maybe you're um, doing something, you, you wives, you know, or ladies around the house and and it's just something, man, you just, I can't get this. I just can't get it, you know? Have you ever thought that, wow, what have I done to involve my Savior in this very thing? What have I done to involve Christ in my marriage? What have I done to involve Christ in this problem? Because I tell you, I promise you that the areas and every area that you involve God in will be blessed. Every area of your life that you allow the Spirit of God to shine into that area, it will be blessed. 
whether it's your finances, whether it's your marriage, or your children, or your lawnmower, (laughs) okay? Really, God wants to be involved in your life to the extent that you will allow him. But all too often, we don't. We don't. And you know that... You know, there are Christians that have been Christians longer than I have been around. And then there are newcom- newcomers to Christ. And they're just, in a sense, babies in the Lord. And so the, there's a whole spectrum of familiarity, familiarity with Christ. <laughs> Easy for me to say, right? But even along that spectrum, God will meet you where you are. God will meet you at your level of understanding. God will meet you at your level of commitment to him. But he wants to be involved in your life. There's a scripture that says, and we use this a lot when we're doing... um, marriage ceremonies, and I heard my dad mention it yesterday during Andy's wedding. And, uh, you know, and it's basically this. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, right? And in a marriage, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So you may, maybe some of you are familiar with braiding. Maybe you ladies braid your hair, you know, those of you who have long hair, or the guys with long hair, for that matter, all right? Um, I used to be able to do that, not anymore. Hard to imagine now, isn't it? (laughs) Get off track here. So braiding, when you braid your hair, it makes it strong, right? And if you have a cord, I remember we used to have a horse. And I took, I think it was some twine or something, and I braided that twine into like a leash that I could use for the horse. And it was really strong because it was braided with these three different strands. And that is very strong. And in a marriage, that represents, you know, yourself, your spouse, and Christ the Lord in your life and in your marriage. And if you continue with that thinking with your business ventures, involving Christ in your business ventures, all right? Involving Christ... In your schooling, all right? Involving Christ in your search for a mate. Have you ever thought about that? For those of us who are still single. Have you thought of involving the Lord who gave himself for you in the process of seeking out someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with? (laughs) How important can that be? All right? But the more that we allow God involved, if we allow him access to our lives, those areas become blessed. There's a scripture in the Bible that I I think it was the the Lord talking to Joshua after he had taken over for Moses. And he says, Whatever your hands touch will be blessed. 
whatever your hands touch. Isn't that what you, you would hope for? Amen. That whatever you involve yourself in, that it will be blessed. You know, I think of Jacob. Now, he is kind of a little bit of a swindler at times. W- would you agree? Tried to. He's kind of a sneaky little bugger. All right? Remember Jacob and Esau, right? Um, and Jacob. But you remember, wasn't it Jacob? I, I, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he uh, wanted to marry this one girl, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, so he said to her father, I want to marry your daughter. Mm-hmm. And the man says, okay. And he says, so what, what will it cost me? In those days, things were a bit different, right? What is it going to cost me to marry your daughter? He says, well, work for me seven years or so, okay? To pay off your debt for this fine young lady, my daughter, that you're going to marry, okay? So how many of you would work? I I probably wouldn't. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Let's keep it safe. (laughs) I'm getting some elbows over here. Yeah, you should be like him. And so he says, I'm going to work for you for seven years for your daughter's hand. All right? And so he does, and he works for for this guy for seven years. And at the end of seven years, the husband, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but he, in a hidden, sneaky event, he gives Jacob... The other daughter that Jacob did not want because she was the oldest and, and in those times the, the older daughter is supposed to be married first, okay? So, he's, so he kind of sneaks and, and gives him his older daughter. Leah, I think, was her name, right? And so Jacob says, what, what have you done? What have you, I wanted this one. I love this one. I worked seven years for you. And look what you have done to me. Now I've worked all this time and I have someone I don't love. And he says, okay. All right, I know what I did was wrong, but I had to get get her off first. So work for me another seven years and you can have the other one as well. And Jacob says, oh, seven years, that's enough for me. And he says, Okay, seven years it is. What do you think that said to her as a woman that he would work another seven years? All right, that's, that's 14 years, if my math is correct. 14 years of work before he can marry her. Wow. Wow. That's love, that's devotion, that's... So, is the one that you married worth... Nah, 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 let's not go there again. 14 years, but... And so, in the meantime, he's working for this guy, and uh, so there's some sheep and goats and stuff involved here, and, and uh, so he begins to 
separate the sheep and the goats. And whatever, now if you remember the story, he took and he laid uh, like pieces of bark and, and things like that where the sheep were to eat and um, things like this. And so what ended up happening was these sheep took, took on color and so it, it was able to tell the difference between Jacob's stuff and his father-in-law's stuff. Okay? And as Jacob continued to do these things and to serve the Lord in the meantime and, and to work, more and more and more sheep were born to Jacob. And so it became all his. Okay? And so whatever Jacob was touching, God was blessing. And it was the same with Joshua. And God wants to do that with us. All this to say, God wants to do that with us. Amen. The things that we touch, God wants to bless. But we can't do it alone. We need him. We need to commit it to him, right? Secondly, we need each other. We need each other. You know, I don't think that the body of Christ were meant to be a bunch of rogues. You understand what I'm saying? A rogue is somebody that kind of goes off and does their own thing all by themselves, you know, and uh, you may have seen the movie Mission Impossible that's out now, Rogue Nation. Okay, that's a good, pretty good movie. Um, but a rogue is somebody that kind of goes, goes it alone and uh, does their own thing, you know what I mean? And, and we're not meant to be that way. We're meant to be dependent upon each other. We're meant to be connected with each other. And, and in Romans, it talks about um, the body of Christ. And it talks about how it, it, the hand can't say to, to the foot, well, I don't need you, right? We, I don't need you, so go away, all right? We're all part of the body. We need each other, okay? We're dependent on each other. And there are certain characteristics of believers in the body of Christ. And he meant that it was this way, that we wouldn't be able to do everything by ourselves. In our church, we're really blessed. We are really blessed. I'm so honored to be a part of this church. I'm so proud to be a part of this church because there are so many people that are really involved, that are really making efforts to fill gaps when there is work that needs to be done. You follow me? Okay? Not that I'm saying those that don't do this are not just as important, but what I'm saying is this, that there are many things that need to be done in the kingdom of God, and there are few that are willing to do that. All right? We are really blessed here that we've got people, and I pray this prayer almost every day, that God would send us workers, to keep the church going, to keep the church healthy. Because, you know, when there's five people doing 95% of the work, that is a bad ratio, <laughs> okay? Because what that means is there's very few people doing just about everything, all right? 
And we've got a lot of people here for just one Sunday morning. There are so many people that need to do a certain job. All right? Otherwise, the sanctuary is a mess. Otherwise, I don't get my coffee and donut in the morning. Otherwise, you see how important stuff is? (laughs) All right? There are musicians. There's sound engineers. There's people to make sure that, you know, everything's working to teach the children to do this, to answer the phone, to do all these things for one day, only one day, all right? And the church is busy every day. So for one Sunday, there's got to be so many people involved to make it work just right. And there's somebody doing a job You might not see it. You might not hear about it. But there's a job that's getting done. Somebody's making sure the bathrooms are clean. Somebody's making sure the bread is passed out. You know, the pastries and stuff. All right? There's a job for somebody. And one of the characteristics of the body of Christ that kind of sets them apart from others is this one thing. And it's very simply, love. Love. And love is used so often today for so many different things that it's kind of lost its effectiveness. It's, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? We kind of get desensitized by it. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's used so often and so um, flippantly, if you will. But love is the thing that one binds us together, and number two, it shows other people that something is different here. Something is different here. And you know what? Frankly, sometimes we screw it up. Yeah, right? We screw it up. But love is the thing that others see in the body of Christ that lets them know that we are his followers. It says in John chapter 13, would you turn there with me? Chapter 13, verse 34. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, a new command I give you. All right, now he's referencing the commandments, okay? But he says this is something new. A new commandment, something for you to follow, I give you, and it's very simply this, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So let's just stop right there. As I have loved you, this is the qualifying statement here. If you want to circle that with a big fat highlighter in your Bible, okay? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So this begs the question then, how has he loved us? Well, he loved us 
if we think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So we begin to see a picture here as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So there is a sacrificial sort of love here, isn't there? It's not love as the world would say it is. This is Christ-like love. A love that is agape kind of love. Unconditional kind of love. Are you with me? That sacrificial love that loves no matter what the cost or what's been done. That's tough to do. That's tough to do. In verse 35, it says, By all this, men will know, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, sometimes we like to go around this love thing and get to the judging part. That's more fun. When we can judge somebody else and make ourselves look good, point the finger at somebody and say, you're not doing this right, dude. You're getting it all wrong. This is the way you got to do it, just like I'm doing it. Okay? And we become judgmental of other people. That's not helping. (laughs) That's, That's pushing people away. Okay? Whereas, if we love each other as Christ loved the church. Now, listen to this. In Romans, I think it's 5, 8, it says, Christ demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right? So that means that while, if we can just bring it to the most simplest of terms, while we didn't like God or believe in God, Christ still died for us. All right, so we're trying to paint this picture of love here. So now we get this picture, this word picture, this visual aid of Christ dying for us even though we didn't recognize him as Lord, as Messiah. We didn't want him. We rejected him. So even when we are rejected, we still are responsible to what? To love. Even though we are rejected, hated, we are to love. Okay? You may remember the scripture, I think it's in Matthew, that says, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those. Punch in the mouth those that persecute you. No. It would be easier and more funner. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. All right? But that's not what the Bible says. Pray for those who persecute you. Mm, Man, that's a hard one. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who reject you. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for them. In doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on their heads. You know what happens when you pray for somebody that's hurting you? 
things change. Things change. And you know what? It changes here first. And once it changes here, things can change altogether. But that's what happens. When you start praying for somebody that's hurting you, change happens right here. And there's a love that begins to happen towards that person, even though they're hurting you. Can you believe that? And some of you are saying, and I've said it myself, well, I don't want to love the person that's hating me. No. I want to give them what they deserve. And that's the fleshy sort of reaction, isn't it? But that's not of of the Lord. That is of the devil. That is not of the Lord, okay? And that's that's our flesh that wants to rise up and we got to just keep pushing our down. That's not what I'm supposed to. And so you keep praying for them. You keep praying God's blessings. I don't want them to be blessed. I want you to curse them. I want you to stomp out their life. (laughs) I want you to love. I want you to love them and pray for them. Maybe you've seen uh, The Green Mile. Anybody seen The Green Mile? I like that movie. All right. Tom Hanks. And you remember Percy? Remember Percy Wetmore? That little wimp of a guard? Right? And as they're sitting there at their desk, you know, and they're talking, and, and uh, he hears one of the, uh, the inmates on death row start chuckling, you know, and like, what is, what is going on? And so they look up and they see this little mouse running down the, the green mile, they call it, right? And Mr. Jingles, yes, Mr. Jingles, it was the mouse's name. And you remember, give him some room, Percy, see what he does, right? And so they throw him these little crackers and see what he does, and he eats the crackers. Well, Percy gets real upset that there's a mouse on the mile. And he goes, and he freaks out on this mouse, and he's throwing stuff at it. People are getting hurt, and he's trying to stomp out the life of that mouse, well, that's kind of what we want to do to people that oppose us, people that hurt us, people that reject us, people that talk about us. We want to stomp their life right out. Teach them a lesson. Give them what they deserve. Just like we got what we deserved. What would happen? What would happen if we got what we deserved? But you know what? We didn't get what we deserved. We got grace. We got love. Unconditional love that died for us when we were the ones that were trying to take it into our own hands. We were the ones rejecting the one that was dying for us. He still died because he loved us anyway. He loved us in spite of our differences. He loved us in spite of our sin, though in his eyes it's all black and it's stinky, it's yucky. He loved us anyway, and he died for us anyway. And that, friends, that kind of love, that powerful love, is the love that you and I are to have for each other. When you see a need, you do what you can do to meet that need. 
when you see a brother or a sister that's down in the dumps, you do what you can do Amen. to encourage them. Amen. You use your gift, whatever the case may be, something you're good at, to bless the body of Christ. We have musicians up here and singers and engineers and, and all kinds of teachers and whatever that are blessing the body by doing something. And you know, it doesn't all depend on our deeds, right? Salvation really doesn't depend on all of our deeds, though deeds are part of it. Part of it. Our decision to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is the thing that saves us. But when we see what has been done on our behalf, doesn't it seem like a natural reaction that we should want to come back to serve? Don't you think so? When we recognize what has been done for us, we should, in turn, come back to serve. Love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4? Verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So it's kind of like a cyclic pattern, isn't it? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love. And he goes to explain this. This is love. Not that we loved God. No. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning sacrifice is a sacrifice, something that makes up for or covers what we've done wrong, our disobedience. Verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. You see, you can't be complete as a Christian without love. All right? We've all seen, and I think experienced probably, judgmental Christianity, those that have judged us. And, you know, let me just qualify that statement. Sometimes we deserve to be judged, okay? But that doesn't give somebody else the right to do that. That is God's job, okay? However, so it says, Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 
We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Let me just read that one more time. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But listen to this. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now listen to this. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So you and I love each other. You and your neighbor love each other. Boy, that Mr. Rogers was on to something, wasn't he? (laughs) will you be my neighbor right by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another okay caring for each other sacrificially watching out for each other depending on each other encouraging each other yes holding each other accountable Amen. 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 Bill, would you come and close us with a song? Would you stand with me? (coughs) Would you stand with me today? We were talking about how God wants to be involved in our lives. And sometimes when you've been, in a sense, burnt, by something, it makes you kind of once bitten, twice shy sort of scenario. Do you follow what I'm saying? When you've been hurt before, it makes it difficult to trust and to love. And many of us standing right here, men and women alike, children, have experienced that very thing. The Bible says to taste and see that I am good. As if you were to Try out a meal that you've never eaten before. You take a little piece of it first. You taste it. "Mm, I don't think so. Or you would say, you take a little bit, you take a little bite. "Mm, That's really good. I think I'll have two plates worth of that. Right? More than you probably should. But the Bible says, taste and see that I am good. Right? And so maybe you're here today and you're tasting. And you're seeing 
that God is good. Maybe you've been burnt before or hurt. Maybe because of whatever reason you are in disbelief right now. Maybe you don't want to believe in God. Maybe, maybe you don't want to take part in any way. You don't want to have anything to do with it. But you know what? There's no accident that you're here. God has been seeking after you. Do you understand that? God has been seeking after you. God desires that you and him are together, in a sense, on the same page. Can we just make that analogy? We're on the same page, me and God. We're not against each other anymore. And you know, it's just so very simple. Sometimes we complicate stuff. I got to go through this 12-step program to get to where I can be right with God. Okay, it's not that way. It's not that way. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, that he is just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, we don't just get an exemption that it's a default. When we die, we automatically go to be with the Lord. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. If we die and we have not made a decision to follow Christ, we're either going to where Christ is going to be or where he is not going to be. Heaven or hell, we say, right? One is good, one is really bad, okay? One is in the blessings of everything that God has for us. One is in a place of eternal torment, the Bible says. So, if we die having not made a decision to follow Christ and receive what he did on the cross for our sins, then we go to a place where he is not. We call that hell. We've all had friends that have died. We've all had loved ones that have died. We have a choice to make while we are still living. When we get to the end of our lives, listen, when we get to the end of our lives, we don't want to hear our GPSs saying, recalculating. <laughs> okay? Are you following what I'm saying? Because we don't want to get to the end and say, oh my God, I've been wrong all these years and now it's too late. It's too late. Friends, you have the opportunity today. The Bible says, today, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of what? Salvation. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Every knee at some time is going to bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord.
And that's either going to be after we die or before we die. After we die, it's too late. It's too late. Where do you stand? We had a sign out there. It's been changed now, but we had a sign out there for quite some time. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? When I'm preaching at funerals, honestly, funerals are one of my favorite things to do. That sounds morbid, doesn't it? (laughs) It kind of is, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Because I get the opportunity to tell people the truth. To tell people the truth that there's hope in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? There's hope. And the Bible says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. It says in his word, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I think it's in chapter 5 of 1 John here. Yes, right here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, sometimes we think, well, I've been a good person. I go to church. I help other people. I'm, I'm caring for people. And so when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. You see, because the deciding factor is what we did with Jesus. When it all comes down to it, when you boil it all down, the deciding factor is this. What did you do with Jesus? You can't make it any simpler. Did you reject him or did you receive him? Have you been rejecting Jesus in your life? You know what? Even though you may not have made a decision to reject God, you still have made a decision not to follow him. 